Clark Talks, the Colombians podcast where we share the stories and views behind the news. I'm Katie Gillespie. And I'm Damian Pizzanti. Thanks for tuning in, guys. This is episode number four. Number four already. Yes, four on the books. And the last one was, I think, really interesting. We talked about some great business stuff, talked about what it was like being a reporter covering uh, that tragic Roseburg, Oregon shooting, ate some great barbecue. It was great. It was a really good episode. Today, we're going to be talking all about education. We'll visit with WSU Vancouver and discuss some of the research things that are happening up there. And then we'll be going to Clark College where we talk to the head of the welding department to discuss efforts to bolster trades and industry jobs at Clark College. Mm -hmm. But first, we're going to talk with Adam Littman, the Colombian Small Cities reporter. I'm excited to be here, although (laughs) I do not see any delicious barbecue food, so I'm I'm a little offended. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry. I was pretty excited to get the chance to actually talk with you about your beat because I think you have one of the funner beats at the newspaper in general. I mean, small cities, that is such a broad term. Yeah, so talk a little bit about what that means. Okay, so I cover the small cities of Clark County. So you're Camas, Washugo, Ridgefield, Battleground, Woodland, and I'm covering some schools, I'm covering some politics, I'm covering some... It's very widespread and kind of feels sort of like a, a pinball machine, like you're just bouncing all over the place all the time. Keeps it pretty interesting, I think. Yeah, you get a really cool cross-section of the community, I think, on that beat, for sure. Definitely. Do you find yourself gravitating towards, like, one particular element of, like, small-town life more so than other elements of it? Um, well, a lot of the small towns are growing. They're in, they're in these places where they're, they have been growing, and they're, they're setting up for even more growth over the next 20 years. And I've, I've found that kind of interesting to write about because you see these small cities where people like their space and they like that they could live and be kind of close to people, but kind of separated. And mm-hmm. now they're having to deal with thousands of more people probably moving in over the next two decades. I really liked the story that you did this week talking to those teachers that are letting kids basically sit wherever and however they want in their classrooms. Um, you know, that is, that is so far and away from like the, the Germanic system that we've, the U.S. has embraced really since like the 1800s, since we started institutionalized education where, you know, kids were sitting up straight, looking straight ahead at the room and rigid forward the whole time. And tell us about what these right. teachers are take what direction these teachers are taking their classrooms now. Right. Yeah. This is at Woodland, uh, intermediate school and the teachers are uh, Jennifer Crosby and Megan Lassick. They're third grade teachers and so I'm sure all three of us probably experienced a teacher who would get mad at students who looked out the window during class. Like I had yeah. multiple teachers who did that and these teachers this year they did a thing where they offered uh, flexible seating options in their classroom. It's something that uh, Jennifer had been studying last year reading research, reading blogs from other teachers and uh, to start the year, they had the um, the school's occupational therapist come in and teach the kids sort of how to be self-aware of their bodies and what their bodies want to do and, and being comfortable. And so what they offer now is the students in these two classes have the option of sitting in the sort of standard plastic hard chair you'd get in a classroom, or they could sit in all these other sort of alternative seating methods. And they have yoga balls with little pegs on the bottom so they don't roll away. They have these sort of wobble stools that, you know, wobble all in any direction. They have um, these things that they call core discs that are just a little disc that's kind of like soft and cushiony that you could sit on or kneel on. And they have kind of the same 
plastic chairs that you normally have, except they have rockers on them, so kids can just rock back and forth during class. And they also tell kids, like, if you're doing some reading and you want to just lay down on the carpet, go for that. You know, they're like eight and nine years old. They want to jump around and bounce around and wiggle. And mm -hmm. the teacher's like, if you're going to do your, you know, if you do your work, jump and wiggle and do whatever you got to do to, to mm -hmm. do it well. I actually want to play just like a clip of the interview that you had with those guys. This is Jennifer. Um, my kids love it. Yeah, whenever they go to other classrooms, I can tell that they're like, oh, we don't get our special seats. Uh, sometimes we do some transitioning where we teach each other's kids different concepts. And so I, at, when we first started transitioning to other classrooms, I had two or three kids ask if they could bring their chair with them. <laughs> so that tells me that they really are liking the, the opportunity to be able to have a seat that gives them a little bit of wiggle room. So. I think it also creates some self-awareness too of how kids learn best and getting to know yourself as a learner. So um, some of my students recognize that they don't do well in a certain seat and they, they um, choose not to sit in them even if their friends do or even if um, it seems to be more of the quote-unquote fun seats. Um, and then other kids who are more active in general know that they need that movement and so that they... Um, can also choose accordingly to best fit their needs. So those were teachers Jennifer Crosby and Megan Lassick uh, in order that we just heard. It's so funny because it's like it's like meeting kids in the middle. Kids like want to like run around, like you just said, want to run around and freak out, but we want them to sit and pay attention. And this is like, all right, you can move around a little bit so long as you promise to listen to us. I just... I wish I would have had this like yeah. twenty years ago. Well, I'm thinking like the rocking, the rocking chairs are so great, especially because like you know you always have that one punk kid in class, or maybe you were that punk kid that you know would rock back and forth in the chair and inevitably all over. fall, and it was a big <laughs> yes. deal. And like I know I did that a couple oh, of times yeah. as a kid, and yeah. so it's it's being aware of those those things that kids do. I mean, they're kids; they're mm -hmm. going to move around. Katie, since you're the, I know you just got on the schools beat, but have you heard of any other teachers doing this? I I haven't. That doesn't mean that yeah. it's not out there. Um, right. but but this is the first that I've heard of anything like this though I will say I am increasingly seeing this trend in education just in coverage um, that I've read of these types of programs whether it's a little bit of yoga to start it off class or these mm -hmm. kinds of seating options or mm -hmm. um, there just seems to be an increased focus on very mindful physical activity and not just like you know sitting out a gym class but things mm -hmm. that are done that are very consciously done like throughout, with the, the throughout the day with the child and the child's energy levels and, uh -huh. and their ability to focus in class in mind. I think so. we've really seen this like trickle down from like the workplace. Because remember just like a few years ago, all the rave was yoga, sitting on a yoga ball. Then it was having a standing desk. And then the, it was a yeah, treadmill and having desk. A, a workplace wellness program. Yes. And, and, and yeah. it's like now people are just thinking like, oh, well, maybe we can apply this to kids. In the story, I... Uh, talk to this guy, Mark Benden, who is a uh, director of ergonomics at Texas A&M University. Ooh. And he did this two-year study uh, where they brought standing desks into elementary schools to see how kids would react and to see the effects it would have on their health. And mm -hmm. uh, so their standing desks, they had like a little footrest under it and they had a stool so they were allowed to sit or lean or do anything. They didn't have to stand. But he said in, in the two years that uh, these kids had standing desks, he saw a, um, it slowed the increase in their body mass index by 5%. Wow. wow. And uh, they tracked the kids, and the ones who were using standing desks were taking about 2,000 more steps a day just wow. from wow. using the desks. 
and he said elementary school kids jumped on it right away. They were excited for something new. Mm -hmm. They tried it with high school students, and they said it, the kids like they didn't know what to do with the desks. <laughs> they were just so like used to get in class, slump down, throw my bag behind me. Cool. Have you, I, when you were reporting this story, did you hear of anybody like feeling the opposite of saying, you know, kids should be sitting in class, not like flopping around like dead fish? And I, I guess I, dead fish don't flop. <laughs> <laughs> Dying fish. Right. <laughs> I didn't get any of that. And I asked the teachers, like when you told parents about this, what was their reaction? And uh, one of the teachers, I can't remember which one, unfortunately, she, she told me that the parents laughed and were like, all right, good luck letting the kids jump around in class, see what happens. And and she said there haven't been any complaints. The kids still have the uh, the regular chairs to sit in if they want to. Um, I'll cool. be curious um, if as this continues, if they do any kind of tracking on like their grades or their test scores. Yeah, that was my I thought mean, too. Like, are they going to see a noticeable yeah, fluctuation? Yeah, yeah, or any change at all. I mean, obviously humans are made of more than just their test scores, but right. it'd be, it would be interesting to see if that kind of physical activity yeah. and getting your blood flowing right. translates to... Will all this like standing and rolling around leave any children behind? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See what uh, I did there? Uh, I did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jennifer did <laughs> Building their uh, common cores. <laughs> yes. uh, Jennifer did say it's too early in the year to see if there is a difference, but she did tell me that uh, it's third grade, so they've started like trying to transition the kids from class to class to get them ready for their middle later, school. yeah, middle yeah. school. And she said some of the kids are definitely bummed out when they have to leave like their yoga ball and their wobble uh, stool behind. And <laughs> they've asked like, "Can we take this with us?" And uh, can't do it, unfortunately. If you're getting kids excited for school and making them happy while they're there, it seems like a pretty good idea to me. I'd agree. Yeah. All right. Well, that was uh, super interesting. You got any other good stories? Come on again and fill us in. Next, we're going to sit down with Christine Portfors at Washington State University, Vancouver, to talk about what they're doing on campus. Yeah. Stick around for this, you guys, because I don't know if you know, but if you didn't know, Wazoo has some really fascinating research coming out of, you know, a really small campus just up on the hill in Salmon Creek. Today's podcast is brought to you with support from the Columbian Subscription Department. Just in time for the holidays, take advantage of big savings on a gift they'll open again and again. For only $20 a month, you can give the gift of local news delivered every day. Call today to take advantage of this great offer. Request the podcast special by calling 360-694-2312. This offer is only available for customers that have not had service in the last 30 days. So Damien and I are sitting down this afternoon with uh, Christine Portforce. And, and Christine, tell us what your title is here at, at WSU. I am professor of biology and neuroscience, and then my administrative role, I'm the associate vice chancellor for research and graduate education. Cool. So let's talk a little bit about that latter role and tell us a little bit about what your job looks like, what all it entails, where all do you have your hands here at the university? My main job is to enhance the research productivity and the research profile of the campus. So what does that mean? That means, mm -hmm. so we're a research institution, WSU-wide is a, what's considered an R1, an intensive research institution. And so that's what we are here in Vancouver. And um, my job is to help support faculty to be able to be more productive, to get more grant money, to attract better graduate students, 
to um, find things that would help us just do better research. Cool. So is there a type of research on this campus that um, is more emphasized than others? Oh, that's a great question. Totally depends on who you ask. So we have instructors who just teach, uh, but most of the faculty have a research component, a teaching component, and then a service component of their job. So we have faculty across the majority of disciplines at a university. Mm -hmm. Uh, There are some that we're missing. For example, we don't have physics research going on here. But we have particular strengths, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe I just kind of have the blinders on because I'm an environmental reporter, mm-hmm. and so all of the researchers from this campus I've spoken with are either in the math department or the environmental sciences department. Yeah. And so, I mean, is, this, is that like the strongest area of expertise for this campus, or is it? do I think that just because those are the people I'm interacting with the most? It is absolutely one of the strongest areas. So some of the recent work by Dr. John Harrison that has gotten a lot of publicity looking at um, the when there's flooding, so with hydroelectrical plants mm-hmm. and dams mm-hmm. and how that causes methane gas. Yeah, their reservoir work went all over the place. It and did. I think that that just started at uh, Camas, or in Lacamas Lake. In Lacamas Lake. Exactly. So mm-hmm. that's an example of, I mean, John is well known internationally for his work, and he's really good about having students work locally, so Lacamas Lake work, that then translates into these globally important results. Um, he also did some work earlier this year that also got a lot of of publicity around the coastal dead zones. There's some really great work going on at Vancouver Lake by uh, Gretchen Rollwagen Bolens and Stephen Bolens, where they're looking at algae blooms, invasive species, Mm -hmm. you know, again, that is getting students here working on some local problem that's globally important. The other, we have a very good group of people doing work around the brain Mm -hmm. um, who are heavily funded by the National Institute of Health. Uh, so Barb Sorg, Dr. Barb Sorg, has, has been in the Columbia not that long ago, but she does work around addiction mm-hmm. and in particular looking at mechanisms in the brain that are important for memories around taking drugs. And so her work is really geared around how do you get rid of those memories, mm-hmm. right? So you might say, okay, I... I I don't want to be an addict anymore. I don't want to take those drugs. And then you go into a context where the memory is so overpowering that you relapse. And so she's doing work around trying to understand what those circuitries are and how to disrupt that Whoa, memory. Whoa, that's a little uh, eternal sunshine. That's exactly <laughs> what I was thinking, too. Well, it's, but it's, you know, we... We work with pharmaceuticals all the time. Yeah, no, I mean, that's right? really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's it's very powerful work. Um, we have another another researcher who's doing work around hearing loss. Um, she studies zebrafish actually, and zebrafish have the same hair cells along hmm. their the outside of their body that we have in our ears, and oh, those hair cells are what allow us to basically transform sound waves into electrical activity in our brain. So it's the first step in hearing. Mm -hmm. And noise causes huge damage to those hair cells, as do a variety of drugs, in particular some of the the 
best cancer agents can cause hearing loss. So she's doing work looking at protectants for those hair cells that could be drugs or they could be natural products, um, which is again fundamentally important in terms of our population that is being constantly exposed to noise. Mm -hmm. Loud sounds are everywhere. So talk to us a little bit about the strengths and weaknesses of being a satellite campus that is trying to do research. So that's a great question because we have a new president. WSU mm -hmm. has a new president, Kirk Schultz, and one of the things that he is pushing right now is that WSU is made up of a number of campuses. Mm -hmm. There is no main campus. There are no branch campuses, there are no urban campuses, satellite campuses, whatever. And what that means, and it's always meant this, we need to be doing what you should be doing at a tier one research institution. So we should be doing research that's impactful, that's addressing important questions. We should be productive, whatever that means in a particular field. So it could mean publishing papers in journals, it could mean writing books. Um, it could mean being, being invited to a really prominent art show, mm -hmm. doing an art installation somewhere. So we do all of those things. And one of the differences, though, is that we're just smaller. And being smaller and being younger, so mm -hmm. we haven't been in existence for 100-plus years, like right. Pullman, for example. We have less infrastructure. We have less people, we have less buildings, we have less lab space, um, we have less equipment, we have less core facilities, say, where somebody in Pullman could just go to another building and get a bunch of DNA samples done for them. Mm -hmm. We need to ship our samples to Pullman, or, or many of us have appointments at Oregon Health Sciences University, so we go there to use some of their equipment. It's the smaller, just less critical mass that makes it a little bit more challenging. Now it seems like that's because WSU reported earlier this year that it's it's um, it has record enrollment mm -hmm. at all of its campuses mm -hmm. this year. So it seems like that piece of it is probably going to be changing, could be changing pretty Absolutely. quickly here, right? Absolutely. Okay. But there's a magnitude of scale. So our goal is to grow to roughly 5,000 students mm -hmm. and that's a great goal. That's going to give us a lot of opportunity to do a number of things. Um, but that's way different than a major research institution that might be 20,000 mm -hmm. or 25,000 right. or 30,000. Right. The number of faculty. So WSU has, I don't know the exact numbers, but it's 900 and something mm -hmm. faculty members. And here in Vancouver, we're about a tenth of the entire faculty base. You know, a tenth. That's that's a fair bit, yeah, yeah. Um, but it's it's still small in scale in mm -hmm. terms of just what we're capable of doing. For if you're an incoming freshman or maybe even like a transfer student, and you know you want to do research, but you're applying and you're going to apply to Wazoo, um, how do you figure out which campus is going to be the right one for you? I think there are a lot of factors involved. Some people, some students want to go to Pullman mm -hmm. because they want to go away. They want that big campus away from home experience, live in dorms. But it's more challenging because, for example, instead of sitting in a class, an introductory biology class of 500 in Pullman, 
you're sitting in an introductory biology class in Vancouver of 120 students. If you're in a much smaller class, mm -hmm. your professor gets to know you. So, you know, if you think about it from the professor's point of view, if they've got 500 students in their class and a bunch of them send them emails saying, hey, I'd like to get involved in research, they don't know who they are. Mm -hmm. Whereas a student here has just a, a more, a closer relationship. So it's a lot easier, or I mean easier for them to get involved in research. So we have a high number of undergraduate students working on research projects with faculty. So well over 50% of our faculty engage students outside of the classroom, so in their research projects, which is a really high number. Uh, in fact, currently I have well, two students who graduated from here, one in biology and one in neuroscience, who I pay full-time as research technicians. And they have that job because they volunteered in my lab for a little while, and then I started to pay them part-time. One wants to go to graduate school. He knows he can't get into his school of choice without a couple of years of lab tech experience and some papers published. He's um, a year and a half out of his bachelor's degree, and he's first author on two publications already, which is phenomenal. Yeah, that's great. It's really, really great. So the students have that opportunity. Mm -hmm. And they have it at other institutions, but it's just easier here because of that smallness. That individualized attention. Mm, yeah. Um, yeah. Do you think there are any advantages from from being um, you know, near Portland, from being in the Vancouver area? Like how does that help your students and how does that help the researchers at this campus? It so I'll answer I'll answer the researchers first. We talk about this, the leadership of us and Portland State and mm -hmm. OHSU and Clark College. Um, we get together and talk about we're, we're better. None of us is by itself a top-tier research institution broadly across all disciplines. But together, we really are. Hmm. So in the Southwest Washington, Portland area, the combined higher education institutions are a real powerhouse. It's a meeting of the minds. It is. It is. So the students, um, some of our students here do internships in, at the research labs at Legacy Hospital in Portland, for example. They do internships at OHSU. They have interactions with people at, at Portland State. So they get a richer experience by also being able to interact with people in Portland. So do you think, uh, like Vancouver, broad, more broadly speaking, the community itself, do you think they realize that there is so much research and such big work going on here at this campus? Um, I think not as many people know about what we do, and that's something that we hope is going to change. So, so I, think, I think many people call us the best-kept secret. Hmm. And that's, it's kind of unfortunate. Many people think that we're just a teaching institution, mm -hmm. but to be fair, lots of people don't understand that universities are also research institutions. You know, I don't know how many times all of us are asked in the summer, oh, so you don't work all summer because you don't teach. Well, right. yeah, we don't teach. Some of us teach summer school, but we don't teach, but we're doing research all summer long. Um, so I, I, a lot of people don't know that we mm -hmm. do research. Mm. And we haven't in the past been really good at promoting ourselves as a research institution, talking about the impactful work that we're doing, having more people go, wow, you guys are really doing some great things would be really important. All right, well, 
that is it for this one. And thanks for coming on and talking with us. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. Hey, listeners. Today's podcast is brought to you with support from the Colombian Subscription Department. Just in time for the holidays, you can take advantage of some big savings. So for only $20 a month, you can give the gift of local news delivered every day. This offer is only available to customers that haven't had a subscription in the last 30 days. But if that's you or somebody you know, call today and take advantage of this offer. Be sure to request the podcast special. The phone number is 360-694-2312. Okay, so now that we spoke a little bit with uh, some people at Wazoo about the research work that's going on up there, we come down to Clark College and we're talking with Caleb White. And remind me one more time, what was it? Uh, Caleb White, I'm head of the welding department here at Clark College. Head of the welding department at yeah. Clark College. Okay, uh, cool. So, yeah, if you could talk with us a little bit about like the trades and job focus that's happening down here at Clark College and the emphasis you guys are putting on that. Yeah, so I've, I've completely revamped the curriculum to where before we focused just on welding. Uh, now we focus on welding and fabrication. To be successful in industry, you know, a worker has to be versatile. So they have to be able to run, you know, like a press breaker, CNC plasma, that kind of stuff. So when they get out of here, they, they can kind of um, go where the employer needs them to go, or they can be specific and kind of find their niche if they'd like to. Be a little bit more versatile then in their skills. Yeah, and that's how I survived out in industry is uh, I bounced. I worked at Christensen Shipyards working on the luxury yachts, and I was able to bounce from department to department depending on where they needed me. Cool. So I'm, I'm trying to get the students to do the same. Great. Yeah. And the, the big news out of Clark College right now is you guys, tell us about the tests that Clark College is now able to offer and why that's significant. So we are uh, a Weibo certified testing facility. So that's the Washington Association of Building Officials. So anytime you work on a construction site in Washington, you have to be Weibo certified. Cool. Um, and that is under AWS, American Welding Society. Uh, so we can really offer a variety of certifications, anything that's really kind of needed uh, in the Washington and, and Portland metro area. So before you guys started offering those certification tests, where would a person, the average guy who was a pretty good welder, go to get a certification like that? Uh, well, PSI is one place. Uh, they're in Portland. They're an independent testing lab. Uh, you can do that. Uh, it's a little bit of a drive for our students. The nice thing is if they come to us, and their current student, we give them a discount uh, on the price, and they can do it in-house. They're familiar with, with the equipment, they're familiar with the lab, the instructors and all that, so it's a better chance for success. So, you know, what I think is really interesting about this is that, you know, so traditionally the trades were something you learned on the spot at a shop or, like, just working as part of a construction crew, mm -hmm. and it seems like in the last few years there's been this shift of, like, bringing it more into a university setting. What's the advantage of maybe learning it on a college campus as opposed to learning it on a construction site? Well, you have a lot more time to kind of delve into the theory uh, behind it, so you know why you're doing something. You don't just know this is how we do it. You have some background to that. Uh, out in industry, it's, it's really difficult to have time to kind of take time to, and to know the theory and, and apply that to future projects. So we really give them a, um, a leg up in that respect. A little bit of a richer educational experience. Yeah, then. absolutely. And especially with the shift. So we're, we're shifting and the industry is shifting more from a, a manual-based 
uh, job to uh, with computer controlled uh, equipment and so it's nice to be able to kind of usher them into that and, and kind of bridge that gap. Cool. Yeah. Now, Clark College, this has been a mission of Clark College as a whole, right, to, mm-hmm. be, to be promoting its trades. And, and can you talk about that a little bit? And yeah, so we're really, uh, really focused on advanced manufacturing because that's where the future is. And, and we're lucky because Portland metro area is a hotspot for that. Uh, we are looking to build um, advanced manufacturing center up in North Campus in, in the next five years. To where we can bring in even uh, the most current uh, technology and really get students uh, up to speed on that. And, and that'll be the, the, the Ridgefield campus at Boshma Farms? Is yeah. The, okay, cool. Yeah. So we're, we're currently kind of in the design phase of that and kind of figuring out exactly how we want that to, to shake out, but that's where we're headed. Cool. Great. And part of that was developed with local employers in mind, correct, and what their needs are going to be? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we really, um, I work with industry on a weekly basis, if not daily. Uh, we also have a welding advisory committee. Uh, we want to make sure that we're in tune with what the local employers need. Cool. So you might have touched on this a little bit already, but I think obviously technology, capital T technology, mm-hmm. is affecting work just across the board and work by the broadest definition. Um, and if I'm hearing you right, it sounds like even these like this traditional like manual labor or just like craftsman type of work mm-hmm. is not immune to that. Correct. Um, yeah, you know, there's kind of a there's still kind of a stigma that you know welding is is dirty and backbreaking work, and that's not true with the advent of technology. It's really trickled down to um, pretty much every aspect of that. So, uh, we, you know, we teach like uh, CNC press break forming, which is used to form metal, or cutting processes like CNC plasma. Uh, you can even buy automated table systems for, you know, uh, five, six grand. So it's really trickled down to a craftsman level. I think anecdotally, I've heard a lot that there's just not as many tradesmen out there as there needs to be. Like a whole generation yeah, of them are retiring. Age. And are you, from your perspective, are you seeing that same thing? Are there students coming in to fill the void or is it? It's, it's, a, it's a huge problem, uh, honestly. And that number keeps getting bigger. So AWS, American Welding Society, in 2014, they forecasted 300 plus thousand jobs shortage. The following year, they upped it to 400,000, and I honestly think that number is probably a little bit low. Um, so it, it is a huge shortage. Um, I get calls from industry on almost a daily basis because they cannot find enough skilled people. So that's kind of where we come in, you know, help them with that. And it sounds like then the job prospects of coming out after you come out of this program are pretty phenomenal then. Yeah, uh, especially in this area and just this uh, industry in general, there's, there's a lot. Yeah, so um, it's really kind of choosing where you want to go. I, think, I mean, these are good, high-paying jobs with usually union shops, right? Yeah, these are very, you know, I mean, very livable wage, you know, even, even starting out. Um, you can make a good living. Gotcha. Anything else we should know that we weren't smart enough or clever enough to think of asking? <laughs> um, just to stay tuned that we're, um, we're really taking this program to the next level, you know, and, and um, we're making a name for ourselves and kind of where we're going with the advanced manufacturing. Cool. Cool. Well, thanks, Caleb. We appreciate it. Sure. Yeah. If you guys like what you heard today or you hated what you heard today, or you just want to talk about what you heard today, please get in touch with us. We really want your feedback. 
You can email us at podcast at Colombian.com. 